Hello everyone, this is Jennifer Bryant and welcome to the Practical Family Podcast where we are building strong foundations and healthy homes. Hello, hello, welcome back precious families. Today we're talking about how to connect with your teenager. Now, my kids are little and I need all the help that I can get preparing for the teen years because I hear things from the right and the left about, oh, look out now, it's coming. They're not going to want to hug you anymore. <laughs> I just I just want to ball up and cry because my son is such a lover. I just, you know, he's always wanting to kiss on his mother, but, but I'm watching and I'm waiting for those little hormones to kick in. And friends, I feel like it's almost happening already. I mean, my kids are approaching eight and nine, so they're squeaking into those preteen years, and the little attitudes come out, and, and I'm going, what did you just say to me? Or, you know, I'm sorry, can you can you say that again, but in like a less rude way, <laughs> you know? But they need us. They need us to guide them and help them, but when it comes to connecting with them as they come into their independence and learning how to give and show respect and all of that. Um, My uh, experience even as a middle school teacher, I taught middle school for four years and I, I loved it. Honestly, I love that I could talk with the kids. Honestly, I love how honest they were. I mean, they're testing their boundaries, you know, taking a little bit of time to understand what, what they were going through. But as I thought about it more, I'm thinking, okay, if it's tough for me as a parent now and I have young kids, what is it going to be like when they're, when they're older? And I'm sure if you're listening to this, you can, I'm sure you have stories and I'm going to be asking you those specific questions in the practical family community. So if you get on Facebook and join the practical family community group, it's a closed group. We have real conversations about real family life. I'm going to be asking you specifically what your experience with your teenagers has been what surprised you the most about those years. What worked and what didn't work? (laughs) Because we need help, people. We need help. But today, I'm bringing on a special guest. She's one of my best friends. She's helped me to get through a lot, and I'll tell you a little bit more about it in the episode. We're going to hear from Dr. Dawn Montgomery today. Dawn is such a precious friend of mine, and her experience specifically with teenagers, not only her clients and their families that she currently sees, but teenagers in the foster care system, she brings a unique perspective to the pain that teenagers experience and emotionally what they need the most from their parents, but also other adults in their lives. So listen in today as we talk about how to connect with your teen in an effective way. And you may be surprised about what not every adult understands about connecting. So listen in today on my conversation with Dr. Don Montgomery and connecting with your teenager. One of my very good friends, Don Montgomery, is here today on the podcast, and I'm so excited to have her because she has been an integral part of my own journey, my own healing journey when I transitioned into being a stay-at-home mom. This woman was the one to really help me through that and giving me the time to sit with her in her office and even as I watch her parenting her own daughter, I I always asked her, 
can you teach me? Can you please teach me to talk to my kids that way? <laughs> she, I don't think she even know, knew what she was saying that was different or wise, but just, just the way that she's approached things. So um, Dr. Don Montgomery is a psychologist who specializes in family therapy, actually, and, and she has her practice here in downtown Honolulu. That's how I got to know her well, but she and I also will bounce off these ideas about family and mm-hmm. connecting. I think connection is our is our favorite friend word right now. Mm-hmm. Let's connect. Let's get together. <laughs> so welcome, Don. I'm so happy to have you here today. Thank you. We're just missing the pancakes. <laughs> I know. This is great. We have breakfast together <laughs> like right. every other week or something. So yeah, it's fun talking over breakfast, and that's where we you know we we share a lot of the things and. And this is where one of the ideas came up to, to, to bring well to bring you on today to talk mm-hmm. to you about the teen issue. Right. Because, I mean, I have a seven and eight year old right now, but I'm, you know, being warned by other parents to, oh, just wait till you get to the teenage years, right? Preteens and adolescents. And I don't know what in the world I'm supposed to do to gear up for that. I don't think mm-hmm. anybody really knows how to get ready for that. But... I love what you have said in the past and in our conversations about what teenagers need the most from the adults in their life. So, right. so can you can you just comment a little bit on on your heart for teens before we get into the specific questions? Certainly, I do have a heart for teens. Um, as a teacher on the island of Molokai for almost eight years, you know these kids they just want a voice. They want to be heard. They want to be seen. They want to be respected and valued, just like we do as their parents. And um, I think more specifically, what even drew me to wanting to be a psychologist was that when I was an adolescent, my father died. I was 15. And I didn't know how to deal with that kind of loss and that deep pain and grief. So I sought out a psychologist myself. And that became such a meaningful relationship. And I knew. At that time that I not only wanted to be a teacher but I also wanted to be a psychologist to help other teens and really families because as we talk you'll hear that it's not just about the teen it involves the whole family mm. Wow so mm-hmm. are you seeing then the like I guess the most prominent thing that we would notice is a teen's behavior you right. know that, that that they warn parents that oh you know when those hormones kick in they're gonna they're not going to want to hug you anymore, and they're not going to want to sit next to you or something. But, but it's really more than that, is it? I mean, what what goes into the, um, I guess, the environment that a teen needs to thrive during those years? Right. I, I guess the kind of a quote, actually, that comes to mind is, um, behavior is the language of unmet needs. I'll say it again. Behavior is the language of unmet needs. And that is by Dr. Karen Purvis, who works with children from hard places, abused and neglected children. And the principles I've I've learned from her are really the basis of my work with children. And it doesn't always have to be kids from hard places that have been abused and neglected, because the heart of her work with kids is connection. And we all need connection. Amen. Right? We do. Yes. We so do in marriage and in um, parenting. And, yes, yeah, we do. Yes, so yeah, some of the behaviors though that I that I see 
Um, you know, at times I've had parents say, yeah, my teen, I just don't know what to do with her or him, and I'm going to drop him off if you can just, like, fix him. <laughs> I laugh, and I'm like, oh, why don't you come in my office, too? Because <laughs> you know what? It's not only about our teens. Mm -hmm. They're acting out. They're lying. Whatever behavior it is, stealing even, it's not about the behavior. It's about a need that they are crying out to be met. Mm -hmm. And if, and it's a skill, you know, we all weren't taught that when we were little and our, our, bless our parents' hearts, they weren't equipped either, right? They, everyone's doing the best they can with what they were given. And teens are, are just, are trying to speak to us. And of course, the, uh, the most, the loudest, I guess I should say, way that they show that is through their behavior. So sometimes it's, you know, they may be the bully themselves or maybe the recipient of bullying at school. There may be some lying to the parents, mm -hmm. um, cheating at school, certainly friend issues. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, the other thing that's helpful to keep in mind in a way to frame our parenting and, and how we connect with our kids is to remember adolescent development. This is a difficult time for them. Mm -hmm emotionally, socially, physically, and even cognitively. You know, their brains are, are not fully developed, that part of the frontal lobe where, uh, you know, we learn certain behavior will cause certain consequences. That's not fully developed until the early 20s. And well, we as, that explains right. it. Right. <laughs> wait, wait, hold on. Right. I got married in my early 20s. <laughs> what are we saying here? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Good thing God blessed us both. Oh, Lord Jesus, help me. <laughs> That's why we need his grace. Amen. <laughs> so all those things that are happening at the same time, it's, I mean, it's not mm -hmm. just a huge, giant mixture of emotions, of, of hormones that, you know, we, we could blame it on that, right? Right. But if we as parents don't understand how to come alongside them and support them mm -hmm. emotionally, and spiritually, right. I mean, this is a huge part of, again, I'll say it again, practical family. We're about building strong foundations and healthy homes. And one of the tenets of healthy that I talk about at the beginning of the mm -hmm. series is is the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual yes. health. So how can we um, develop that? And are, are there barriers that keep parents from openly connecting with their teens? Mm -hmm. You know, in the work I do with adolescents, this may sound a little harsh, don't mean it that way, but one of the barriers is us as parents because we may not have learned how to emotionally connect and to therefore create an atmosphere of emotional safety where our child can come to us and say, I feel like such a loser, I'm being bullied, no one's listening to me. We don't see that or hear that because, A, we're not looking for it because we don't know to. We're not asking the right questions because we're not sure how to. We just see the behavior, right? So sometimes we're the barrier, mm -hmm. right, in needing to learn ways to connect with them. And oftentimes um, in our struggle, in only I'm working with adolescents but also with the parents, right? If, if there's parent issues happening, that affects the children at any age it affects the adolescent but when the couple relationship is strong that brings security to children 
that that is their foundation even if they don't act like it even if you know you've you and Bruce have probably you know you kiss and the kids are like ew you know different <laughs> things um no they love it they love that that's their foundation they feel safe they can even rebel and know you're still there you love them mm-hmm. that's the biggest piece of connection you love them obviously but you want them to know that and I love one thing that Dr. Karen Purvis says is you want to look at your children and you want them to look in your eyes and to see their preciousness in your eyes how beautiful is that to connect in that way right with your eyes your love for them how do we communicate that form of unconditional love because I think as parents it's easy to get stuck on the well you didn't do this you didn't do what I asked you to do so therefore I I can't trust you you know because we spend so much time parenting and guiding yes and I forget that too when I'm just like uh, so frustrated at my kids because I right. told them how many times did I tell them to do this thing and hello what are they doing yes. <laughs> playing with something you know right and then as teenagers with more of that brain development stuff going on right you know it, if I'm always communicating a message of, of of mistrust then how are they going to want to tell me anything exactly right so so how how in the world are parents supposed to balance parenting and emotional connection and how how do you make time for both you know mm. it's such an amazing connection and you know I think of it in our relationship with the Lord you know I think of that scripture that says it's it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance right it's not his punishment it's not him kicking us out of his family it's not him emotionally ignoring us even it's his kindness that draws our heart back to him and it's true as parents too. And you know, it's so funny. I hear those things too, like, oh my gosh, wait till she's this age. But you know, you could you start early. And then it's not a nightmare when you get there. Mm-hmm. And you start early and even and I've experienced the same thing, right? We just get so frustrated, like you didn't make your bed again and you're trying to teach them responsibility. But I've seen the difference in my own child. Do my words give her a sense of connection to me? Is the behavior corrected and changed? Does she feel a sense of contentment and success in doing what I had asked? And that would be where you're you're looking for connection with your child. If the outcome is where they're feeling like behavior isn't changed, behavior is deferred, they're going to obey right then, but later it's going to happen again. Something went wrong there, right? Um, also, if um, there's a discontentment, there's like anger and a bunch of frustration afterwards and a lack of closeness between the two of you after, that's an indicator too that there's, there's not been connection. Mm-hmm. So how can that happen? So they don't do their chores, something you'd asked. You know, I, I'll, I'll get down to Isabella's level. She's 10, but I'll sit with her and say, you know, baby, when mommy asked you to clean your room, make your bed, put your clothes away, and you just went out to play without doing it. I felt, I felt sad. And I felt as though what I say doesn't matter to you. And mommy needs to know that you care about what I say and that you value what mommy says. Because I certainly value what you say. And I want us to have that relationship where we can do that. Mm. 
So it's the formula I teach parents and I use myself is whatever the incident is, you, you name it without blaming or accusing, you know, when you didn't make your bed, you know, when you lied to me, when you didn't come home at the time of your curfew, I felt, and then I need. Mm -hmm. You can't argue with that. Mm -hmm. You're owning as a parent, you're modeling for your teenagers. Mm -hmm. I felt and I need. And it's an amazing thing that happens because then you're, you're modeling it for them and then they then have the opportunity to respond to your heart, mm. not to your punitive words or consequences. Right. right. Now, Don, how is that different from parents that may use their feelings to manipulate their kids? Like, like do you, because we see that too. And we, sure. And we, we see it in um, thinking of movies, you know, pop culture where where the mother is constantly, you know, manipulating her son to do what she wants and then his wife gets the short end of the stick. Sure. <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying? Right. So, so when what's the difference between that real connection connecting with our feelings yep. and then versus using our feelings to manipulate their behavior? Yes, that's why the importance of I takes place. I feel and I need. Mm -hmm. It's never you make me feel mm, okay. angry. You make me feel disrespected. No, 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 no. No one can make you feel anything without your consent. Mm. Statement by Eleanor Roosevelt. Mm. Right? No one can make you feel inferior without your consent. And I love that because it causes us as the parents to take responsibility for our own thoughts and feelings and actions. Right. And we're modeling it for our kids. Right? And encouraging them to do the same. So when they see that their behavior um, has an effect on others, yes, that, that, that is one thing I think in parenting that if we don't recognize that, that that has to be communicated, that and it's not just as simple as calling them on the carpet, so to speak, you know? right. but it kind of is because it's like, hey, when you did that just now, this is what happened. Do you see that? Mm -hmm. Let me, can I, can I, yes. you know, help you to see that because I love you versus why the heck did you do that? You're a bad person, you know? Right, it's right. Different. And you're always separating the behavior from the person. Right. Right. Mm. It, it's, we can shame our kids mm. with the way we discipline. You know, shame says, I am a bad person. Guilt says, I did something bad. You know, I did something wrong. And guilt, that's healthy guilt. I did something wrong, I, need to, I want to make it right. right. But shame says you are a bad person. Mm -hmm. Even with statements like, shame on you, you know better. That is very shaming. Or you have no one else to blame but yourself. Um, the kid wasn't blaming anyone. Mm -hmm. but, but what that speaks more of to me when I'm in my office and I've got parents and teens, it speaks more of us as parents and we're not perfect, none of us in our issues come into play, our, our own issues regarding communication or even connectedness, mm -hmm. we're not always sure how to do that. So do you see that? It ends up being that a lot of parents put their own shame and guilt onto their kids and it comes out in the form of discipline, but it's actually, it's actually them needing to heal. Yes. And because that's what you're working with all the time, right? That's right. Mm -hmm. And normalizing it for parents. So if that's true, does that mean I'm a bad parent? No. No, that means you need to have a voice also for the ways 
you were treated as a kid, whether it's parents or other adults in your life, teachers, coaches. You know, some of us have memories and, you know, 10 teachers could have said something amazing to us, but it's that one coach that said, we'll never amount to anything. And then we carry that the rest of our lives. Wait, what about the other 10 that believed in you and encouraged that confidence, right? Words matter. And the beautiful part about this, though, is we're human. And one of the things we do in our family, and I teach others, is a redo or a do-over. And I do those in my family. Sometimes I'm doing it more than Isabella. But, you know, I'll say something like, you know, Isabella, mommy needs a do-over. That was not very patient at all. And I want to try that again. She's like, okay, mommy. So I go out of the room, like literally, and then I walk back in. And I say it differently. And, and her little face to see, like you children will get such not only a kick out of it, but a sense of respect from you, the parent, modeling your imperfect and even you need do-overs, making it like you're preparing the way for when they need a do-over, right? So when disrespect happens and they comment and roll their eyes, you could say something like, oh, baby girl, let's try that again. That wasn't real respectful. You can do it. Let's try it again. And they do. And then it's over. There, there was no need for this huge consequence or to take anything away. It was just, and it, it's quick. Wow. I and it's connecting. That. Yes, because that is so, such an easy way to guide and direct behavior that doesn't have to be drug out. Yes. Know? I mean, because it, it, it loses should, its effectiveness if you drag it out. Yeah. Um, right? I okay, see. you're on restriction for one week for that. Day two, they have no clue or even remember. What even and, and you might not either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. What do you think that teens need most from the adults in their lives, whether it's mm. a teacher, a coach? I think teens need adults in their lives that truly care about them, that show them empathy. You know, empathy is, you know, trying to put yourself in someone else's shoes, maybe even based on your own personal experience that's similar to theirs and feeling that with them, really connecting emotionally in that. They need to be respected, the very thing we ask for as parents. They need to be heard, they need a voice. And they respond in amazing ways. I I saw that as a teacher with how I ran my classroom and how others ran their classrooms and the differences when kids feel respected and loved by their teacher. Right? I saw it with when we were foster parents on Molokai with the little ones we fostered, you know, if they felt respected or rejected. And it, it gives them such, it just cultivates respect and love and acceptance. And, you know, I think of empathy, right? Feeling each other's pain, really, and how Jesus is such an example of that. I think of, you know, when Lazarus died, and Jesus could have been there sooner, but he, but he didn't get there sooner. And when he did, he, you know, saw Mary and Martha, his sisters, and they were crying. They were weeping that they lost his, their brother. And Jesus knew he was going to heal him. He knew what was going to happen, but he still cried with them. He still felt their heart because of his compassion and his empathy, right? His empathy and then was reflected in compassion and that's what our teens need you know what it's what we need amen Mm -hmm. 
Don, what are some practical ways that parents can connect with their teens like today? Mm -hmm. <laughs> what can we start practicing? You know, you could spend time with them. Even if it's 10 minutes of just one-on-one, -on -one, you know, what was a high point of your day? What was a low point? Um, if you've already developed a relationship, that's going to be easy, right? And it's never too late. That's the other thing I tell parents. You know, I have a client family where, you know, they were involved in child protective services. And, and it's rough. And the adolescent boy is, you know, 16. And it's not been an easy, an, an easy walk as parent and child. And after a first session, able to put into practice just the I feel and I need. And it was magical in the office. Like the teen teared up because the parent was actually speaking in a way that was loving and that was connected and like human to human, not controller to child. Right? And so time, time together, speaking with I statements, I feel and I need, being proud of them, being very specific with, you know, I don't say this very often, but I'm really proud of you. You get your homework done, you go to school, you've got good friends. I just want you to know that. And they may act like, yeah, whatever, and go to their room or whatever, but it means something. It goes deep. Mm. So you can talk to them more, mm. facilitate that connectedness. And they may not respond right away. They may be like, wait, what? What are you doing? <laughs> this is weird. And, and when you get that response, you need to know too, right? Part of that adolescent development is more connection with friends. Right. Right? right. But that does not need, mean that they don't need you. They still need you. So we have to be careful as parents to not feel rejected, right? Then we're back into our own pain again. And we don't want to project that onto our kids. Right, because it's not about us. It's no. them. That's right. It's their development. It is absolutely their development. And it's, it's such a great time, too, to talk about spiritual things. Mm -hmm. I loved being a teacher of junior high and high schoolers and talking about faith. And I would put it out there. You know, is your faith your own or is it your parents? Are they dragging you to church and you're coming? That's great. You're obeying your parents. But what's going on inside? And, you know, they love that because they're like, well, I don't really know if I believe. Well, I don't get the Trinity. I don't understand. And it facilitated such amazing conversations. And they felt respected. Wait, someone cares about what I think? It's just not, we just do this on Sundays. And it helped them develop their own faith even. And what was that? It was time and giving them the space and actually being genuinely interested in them. I love that, that everyone needs to be heard, especially teens as they're developing, as they're mm -hmm. trying to figure out who they are, and then they're going to hit their 20s and then go through another identity crisis. Exactly. And then they're going to get married and go through another identity <laughs> crisis. So it's, I mean, the stages right. of life that we need each other. And I keep coming back to community and the importance of community. We need each other. Yes. And we need mentors. We all need someone a little bit older and wiser than us to help us. And you've definitely been that for me, Dr. Dawn. <laughs> I love you so much. You're a blessing to me, Jen. Oh, and you, you have definitely used your gift, even as you said at the beginning of the program, based on your own teenage experience. You know, right. losing your daddy, thats it's a tough thing, but God allows us to go through what we go through, as our pastor says, to yes. get others through what they're going through. Yes. And uh, and that's meaningful. Mm -hmm. That's meaningful. 
So thank you so much for coming on the program today. I'm, You're so welcome. I'm absolutely just delighted. And, and if you've been listening to the podcast today, we've been talking with Dr. Don Montgomery, who specializes in family therapy, and we're talking about connecting with your teen and why it's important and practical steps to be able to connect and not lose hope because we're all at different seasons in our life. We all need grace. We're all trying to figure stuff out one day at a time. And I encourage you today that as you move forward with your family, that you seek, seek to empathize first, seek to connect and love. Love before discipline. And you'll see what incredible things can happen in your family. You've been listening to the Practical Family Podcast where we are encouraging families to build strong, foundations and healthy homes.